Hey, everybody, and welcome to Melrose Sheltering in Place. I'm Nan. And I'm Christopher. And you know what? There are so many congratulations in order this week. (gasps) What? What's happening? Well, you might have forgotten that you have been married for 10 (laughs) years. Yes, I have. 10 years, and you are now sober for 13 I Congratulations yes. to both of those. And perhaps um, the one that's really going to be relating to the podcast the most is that you got a new laptop. I did. I did. Y'all don't know at home, but I my laptop has been on the struggle bus. <laughs> and we have we've lost at least one episode because of it and had to like save another episode by having Christopher like re-record from anyway it was it's been a mess it's been hot mess express over here with my (laughs) laptop so I finally I finally dragged my butt to the store yesterday and got a new laptop so we don't have to suffer any longer and I gotta say going places and doing things right now really sucks so I salute you you know, it was like not a terrible experience because, well, one, I learned my lesson. I'm not buying any more laptops from Best Buy because that's what I used to do. It's just I like, walk into Best Buy and I'd be like, I'm sure I'll find something. And then I had the experience of them, you know, like trying to upsell me mm. constantly. And at least one time I feel like I really did buy kind of more laptop than I needed. It wasn't the worst thing that ever happened to me, but it was just like not a pleasant feeling mm. to get home and be like, I feel like I just bought more laptop than I should have um, because that person was a really good sales pusher. <laughs> um, and so I got on the internet and I did my research and I figured exactly what I wanted. And I went to a different place. I went to a place called micro center, which I don't even know if that's, I know there's like one in Dallas and one in Houston, but I don't think they're everywhere. It's a very old too. I can't believe they're still in business. Like I remember micro center opened when I was a kid and computers were like new, you know, Um, And I walked in and at first I saw 5 million salespeople wandering everywhere and I was like, oh no. (laughs) And I walked back to the laptop section and I stood next to the laptop I wanted and I eventually actually had to go find a salesperson. They weren't trying to push me at all. Like I was, (laughs) I walked in and I saw so many salespeople and I was like, just keep walking until you find where you're going because if you stand still for five seconds, they're going to be on you. They're going to get you like, but actually once I stood still no one attacked me. I like literally went and found a salesperson. And I was like, I want this laptop. And he was like, Oh, we're out of that laptop, but we have this exact same. It's basically like, this is a different brand, but the exact same laptop. And I was like, I want that laptop. And he was like, cool. And then he was like, do you want the protection plan? And I said, no, thank you. And he said, well, I have to ask. (laughs) And then he sent me on my merry way. And I was like, Oh my God. So I will be a customer of micro center. Shout out to Micro Center. You know Um, what that sounds like to me? It sounds like Steve from Melrose Place, who owns Microcomp, opened a retail (laughs) chain to sell his computers. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. I didn't remember that it was called Microcomp. So good catch. (laughs) Um, I wonder. Yeah. uh, Micro. Like, it's just such a 90s way of referring to computer things, yeah er, i feel like early 90s is micro and late 90s is cyber oh my god cyber do you remember when people called uh virtual sex, cyber sex. like just cybering or like just cybering yeah, like oh my asl god. cyber <laughs> oh my god 
memories. Anyway, not that I was old enough to be doing those things at that time uh, in the world, but I I was aware of things. Um, so yeah. So anyway, that was my cool story, bro, about how I bought a new laptop and didn't have to deal with Best Buy's bullshit. Nice. So if you work at Best Buy or you own Best Buy and you're listening to this, get your shit together because that sales shit losing customers <laughs> like well um i only really have one announcement for myself which is second shot of moderna on tuesday is coming up three days from now Yay! boom um get ready i didn't think i'm a tough bee who doesn't usually have like side effecty kind of things and stuff and i didn't feel i didn't feel sick after my second shot but i did like the next i got it on a wednesday and like half like a wednesday evening and like halfway through thursday i needed to lay down Mm -hmm. and just sleep and like take a nap like i definitely felt extremely tired which from my understanding is because your body is like working to make the antibodies or whatever well, I am ready for it. And, you know, the timing could be a little better because I'm going to be, like, busy at work from Tuesday morning and then for probably the rest of the week. Like, it's a busy period. So looking real forward to Wednesday, but <laughs> I'll get as much stuff done as I can on Tuesday. We'll see what happens. Well, yay! Everybody's getting. Oh my gosh! Excuse me. <laughs> Is that um, a side effect? Is hiccups? <laughs> yeah, that's a sign. Oh my god! Speaking of COVID, yesterday I got on Hulu to watch a show, perhaps a show called Melrose Place, and I like the you know the top thing will push me you know it'll push content on me and so the the movie was like telling me about it's called songbird and it's and like the premise of it is i guess it's horror it was like it's the year 2049 and covid 23 is raging through the world and everything is like on the fourth lockdown and can i just say if you're out there and you're listening i don't know who i keep addressing because nobody listens to this podcast well not nobody we don't want to disrespect our three listeners but (laughs) Like, if you're out there and you're listening and you're a person who makes TV or movies, writes scripts, or is thinking about getting into that, please, no no COVID art. No COVID content. No. We don't need it. No, no. No. Uh-uh. Like. No. Just don't do there it. There will be a time and a place for that, and it's a while from now. Uh, yeah. Like, y'all. I just, I can't, you know, and I know that like actually pandemics are of course very much fodder for like dystopian things, (laughs) but could you just name it something else? There's just something so schlocky about making it about a real disease. Well, and if, if the movie is about the year 2049, but it's COVID 23, that means that the virus has been around for 26 years because it's. I will say, I, I mean, I have to cop to the fact that I don't remember what year it was. So, that is so <clears throat> you know, whatever, but. Yeah, I'm going to give that movie a pass for sure. Like, there, there's been one lockdown movie that I want to watch. It's that one with, um, what is her name? How do I always forget her name? The Princess Diaries Girl. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. yeah, that one looked like it was okay. But that one looked like it was okay because it's like, yes, there's a COVID element. But there's like 
uh, the central storyline is kind of more about a heist. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's fine. That's fine. Like that looks okay. Yeah. But yeah, just I don't, oh, no, no COVID. <laughs> um. Oh, and one one announcement that I wanted to mention before I forget. Um, our time has finally come. The The next episode of the Melrose Place cast is the one that we're on. Oh, yay! We recorded yeah. it 10 weeks ahead of time. <laughs> and it's been <laughs> such a long 10 weeks waiting to hear how it came out. Um, uh, that is exciting. Yeah. I am very excited. Um. So looking forward to that. That sounds cool. Yeah. So uh, for, for those of you who definitely will go listen, it's going to be episode 25 of the Melrose Place cast. <laughs> well, this is exciting. And shout, shout out to our friends, TJ and Mary yeah. at the Melrose Place cast for being cool. And doing an awesome job. They're funny. Yeah, I think it's going to, they're way more put together than we are, y'all. So y'all might listen to their episode and be like, you know what? This is like a way more profesh situation over here at the Melrose Place cast. And they have talent. Like, they're good comedy writers, basically, in a way that I haven't made myself try to become because that's... We don't write anything here at Melrose Sheltering in Place. (laughs) We outline. (laughs) Yeah, we out. We just basically make notes, and by we I mean Christopher. <laughs> I don't even do that. <laughs> um, but you know, like free your mind. Yeah. That's what I say. Make bad art on purpose. That's my motto. <laughs> uh, shall we jump in? Let's jump. All right. Well, uh, the last episode was such an exciting episode because we got to the season two finale. And that means that we're doing season three now. Uh, season three, episode one is called. <laughs> it's called "I Am Curious," Melrose, which is it. Which is weird. I am curious. Well, there was a movie in the seventies, 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 late sixties. I am curious, yellow, and there was also I am curious, blue. This was like oh. during the period. Do you remember? Well, you don't remember. Remember? Because I don't think you were like alive and or old enough alive because i definitely anyway whatever there was like that porn chic period Um. of time um and uh so i am curious yellow and i am curious blue were like art porn um and so i uh i i don't know enough about i'm curious yellow to know like why um uh to know like i mean it's art porn <laughs> but i'm not 100% sure like what it has to do with um you know the particular incident that uh is happening with their um with their father like that seems like a weird connection to draw <laughs> But, you know, whatever. Well, I have never heard of either one of these, and now I'm going to have to seek them out. Um, you, what you're talking about kind of reminds me of, like, those Warhol films, like Flesh and Trash, but yes. um, where they don't really do enough naked stuff, and then the acting is terrible, too, but these <laughs> they're still important somehow. Well, I, 
I just looked it up, and I am curious. Yellow is like three and a half hours long, so it's a little bit more than a Warhol film. Mm. Um, when it comes to that. Wait, no, 122 minutes? It was supposed to be three and a half hours long. Anyway, whatever. Um, It sounds extremely... And it also, like, they were interested in social issues, so... um, How erotic. There's, like... the walls are covered with pictures of concentration camps and a portrait of Francisco Franco. um, And it's Who was uh, the president of... Was the fascist... Uh, president of Spain, or I don't know. This is a lot is happening here. Um. Oh, I guess there is like a father daughter possible. Anyway, who cares? It the the title is a riff on I am curious yellow. Okay. Um. And I don't. It doesn't make total sense, but it makes a little sense. <laughs> well, th- this is going to be one of the more interesting homework assignments I've given myself. Um. But see what happens okay so one thing that's different uh in starting with this episode is that for the first time ever the show did not start with the opening credits it started with um uh sydney being in um you know questioning at the police station or no was it was it jane that's right it was jane i'm jumping ahead of myself jane was being questioned or is that a different episode? Something happened before the opening credits that I should have made. That's right. Sorry. It's in episode two where that happens. I got ahead of myself. So ignore what I just said for a minute. But I do still have ep- <laughs> I do still have opening credits news. They finally added Laura Layton to the opening credits, the one who plays Sydney. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, the dumb thing, though, is that even though they've cut out a lot of the old footage of the cast, you know, having a good time and stuff, they still show Michael and Jane together. It's a brief second, but you still see it. And I'm like, they've re-edited it so much, but they still show that. How dumb. (laughs) Oh, and also speaking of intro news, last time you pointed out that there was like a shot of a seagull and it was missing a leg. (laughs) Yeah. And Brian Gregory sent me a TikTok of this person, like, feeding a seagull outside their apartment, trying to get it to, like, come in and be their friend. And in the TikTok, it's like the seagull is standing on one leg and the person making the TikTok is like, oh, my God, you used to have two legs. What happened to your other leg? And the, the other leg was totally disappeared. And then the other leg reappeared. So <laughs> my guess is that that seagull that was in the intro with, only one leg actually ha- was like hiding. Its no, other leg no, somehow. no. You can see half of its leg. Oh. It's missing from the like the halfway Gross. point down. Yeah, it was it was ugly and weird, and I don't know why they used it. I'm gonna go back and look. You at should that. anyway. Yeah. Wow. So Ooh. you've given me two questions. Um, does Brian have a TikTok account that I can follow? He does not uh, like make TikToks, to my knowledge. We just trade TikToks back and forth. Okay, and then. Does did he send that to you because he listens to Melrose Sheltering in Place? I don't know. I don't totally know. I mean, he might have just sent it to me because he thought it was funny. Because I will say, I really <laughs> miss the days when Brian Gregory was podcasting. I always love listening to him talk. Curtis too. Um, I miss the game night guys, but um, you know, obviously, you can't make people podcast if they don't want to. Part of why I wanted to start this show is because I miss listening to you. So 
Um, hi, Brian, if you're listening. And if not, well, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we stand. We stand, Brian Gregory yeah. and Curtis. What great guys. Um, Cur- Curtis, whose last name I can't remember. And I'm so it's sorry, Hill. Curtis. It's Hill. Okay, that's right. Okay. Um, it's hard to remember because it kind of sounds fake, but <laughs> like. I can see uh, that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay, okay. Let's get okay. back let's into get the, back episode. the episode. Okay. okay. Uh, Kimberly runs into the hospital and Dr. Levin fills her in on the news that she's pretending not to already know, which is that Jane is in jail for murder. <laughs> the police are over at Melrose Place questioning everybody and Kimberly pretends not to know about it while talking to Joe. Or was that not Kim? That wouldn't have been Kimberly. Who was that? Uh, I guess that would have been Amanda. I don't know. Anyway. Um, no, it was Kimberly. That's right. Cause she runs downtown to talk to Jane at the station. I love how you can just say downtown and you know that that means the police station. <laughs> anyway, the cops lay out a very good timeline of events, making Jane look guilty as hell. And they are pushing for a confession, but Jane's smart, and she will not say another word without an attorney. Sydney tells Jane that she knows she's innocent, <laughs> and Jane accuses Sydney. Um, yeah, it was kind of dumb for Sydney to say, I know you're not guilty, because, well, how do you know that? Maybe you know something. Um, <laughs> uh, a detective with a nice, like, mini mullet notices Sydney storming out, and he's suspicious. She heads to the hospital to tell Kimberly that Jane thinks she's guilty, but she doesn't mention it, um, that the reason that she thinks that is because she blabbed. But Kimberly is not worried at all, and we're going to find out why pretty soon. The detective arrives at the hospital just in time to question Michael as he regains consciousness. (laughs) Man, he's in the hospital so much now, even when he's not working, he's always there kimberly (laughs) oh and can i just say i know we're gonna get into it later but like him this like bro's acting around like having amnesia is so fucking irritating i can't that was why i texted you and i was like it's getting real soap opera up in here yeah because amnesia (laughs) and evil twins are are the (laughs) currency of soap operas and now this is truly a soap (laughs) um so, you know, they are questioning him and Kimberly is like, uh-oh, I better distract him. And that's when we learn that Michael does not even recognize her. Uh, Jane makes her statement to the police and she accuses Sydney in it of trying to kill Michael. Sydney <laughs> lurks outside the hospital to meet Kimberly because she needs Kimberly's help with an alibi And Kimberly says that they will be each other's alibis and that the story is going to be that they had a long lunch at a seafood stand at a farmer's market, Um, which I, I just picture like, even if they went to the the farmer's market, there'd be like no seafood stands whatsoever. They would ask, no, we've never had one. But anyway, the police arrive at Melrose Place to question Sydney, and she tells them the seafood stand story. They go to the hospital to ask Kimberly about it, and Kimberly over, uh, and Sydney overhears Kimberly telling them a different alibi that has nothing to do with Sydney. So she knows <laughs> that she's been double crossed. 
Uh, Kimberly breaks into Sydney's apartment and plants the Jane wig in a drawer. The next morning, Amanda lets the police in and they find it almost immediately while searching through her drawers with no rubber gloves on because they are totally following all the procedures. Sydney confronts Jane at Melrose Place and confesses that she is leaving town. <laughs> Michael summons Kimberly to tell her about his dream. He was enveloped in an overwhelming feeling of love for Kimberly. <coughs> Excuse me. He also dreamed of a demonic ginger with green eyes. <laughs> and Kimberly says, that was Sydney. And she's been taken care of. So Sydney begs a shooter's coworker for money. And she says that she can't help her because the cops have been there. And as she tries to leave, we see that they're there and they pounce and she tries to run and they arrest her. Oh my goodness. Uh, so uh, over in everybody else's world, uh, Amanda complains to Joe in the courtyard that things around there are falling apart because Jane ran Michael over. <laughs> <laughs> Although she does think that he had it coming. I mean, she's not wrong. No, like, like he definitely had it coming. Who whomst among us does not wish to run Michael Mancini over? <laughs> The only reason I'm mad about it is because I can't bear the acting that uh, Calabro, what is his first Thomas, name, that yeah. actor? Uh, Thomas Calabro. Uh, Thomas, yeah. I can't, this actor and the way he's performing. I also keep wondering if Michael is faking amnesia because the acting is so suspect around it. Well, it's like... Not only does he have amnesia, but he's acting like an eight-year-old. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, who are you? Oh, you're my, you're my wife. You're so beautiful." <laughs> and I'm like, "What the? F it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. It's terrible." I gotta say, I'm a little disappointed in Kimberly for running into him and knocking him off the side of the car and not backing up and running him over. <laughs> Because, like, that wasn't going to ever kill him. Like, right. Um, if you're going to do it, you should really do it. <laughs> yeah. Com commit. Commit yeah. to the murder. Um, so Joe makes sure to declare her lack of interest in Jake. And she tells Amanda that she can have him. Because um, as as we all remember from last time, Jake said that he was going to be with Joe, and all it took for him to change his mind was Amanda being sad. <laughs> uh, Billy suspects that something is up with Allison's dad, and Mrs. Parker alludes to family trauma. Billy connects the dots, and he asks if Mr. Parker molested the girls and mrs parker smacks him across the face billy demands to know where in san francisco he can find meredith and allison uh as though mrs parker would even know like a whole big part of the plot is that they don't know how to find her but anyway uh upon that mention of san francisco 
the camera cuts to the exact same footage, uh, stock footage of a streetcar that they used in the last episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you got to buy a little more B-roll than just one streetcar going by. Um, uh, Meredith brings Allison coffee and croissants and wants to reminisce, but Allison is only interested in confronting their demons. Um, I would also maybe be interested in going to the furniture store because that house looks so uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> Allison just can't hide from her past and blames the abuse for all of her issues and failed relationships. Um, which I think that's a bit of a reach. Um, you got to acknowledge that you kind of suck a little bit, but anyway, <laughs> Mr. Parker is just sitting there in a car across the street and they have not even noticed that there's yeah, somebody sitting there. So, that part to me was so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if, if there was somebody sitting in a car across the street and your curtains were open, you would eventually notice like you just do. It... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, Jake finds a note from Amanda and stops by her place. She lets <laughs> she lets him know that Joe is no longer interested and she wants to bone. Um, but the whole thing has backfired and their feud, Joe's and um, Amanda's, has made him realize that he just doesn't want a relationship anymore right now. Um, and she warns him that she won't be waiting around for him. Okay. <laughs> um, I, it's not like she has any other prospects, right? Like, well, Billy's available soon. So <laughs> sorry, spoilers. Um, after talking on that terrible looking antique couch all day, Meredith leaves to get takeout and Allison alone in the house. hears a noise. The bathroom window is open, and Mr. Parker surprises her from behind. He tries to convince her that telling anyone about the abuse will only hurt her because she's damaged goods. Wow. Um, Meredith appears from behind with a gun, um, which I uh, try not to take Joe's gimmick. Uh, <laughs> uh, he lunges for the gun and they struggle, and somehow Billy arrives just then and lets himself in an unlocked front door, and it's just enough of a distraction for Mr. Parker to get away, tires squealing. The next day, Meredith thinks now that they fought about it, everything's over, and they don't have to worry about Mr. Parker. Like, the confrontation is enough. But Allison wants to come forward, and Meredith says that she can't testify, but she won't stand in Allison's way. I also think it's so weird that Meredith thinks that they, like, that that one interaction is just going to make it be done. Yeah. Like, they didn't even, there was no resolution. Basically, like, he tried to attack them. He got, you know, too many things happened, and he wasn't able to successfully attack them uh, all the way or whatever he was trying to do. Like, he didn't get to convince them of anything. He didn't get to be, I mean, and then he ran away. Yeah. I don't, that like, you know, I mean, Meredith is obviously very avoidant around all of this, um, and that makes sense, but I don't, it's just so it, weird. It's just there's no reason to think 
oh, well, we're done now. He's, he's cool with it. Like he knows that we're a threat to him. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah. Um, so Jake is on his boat alone and he hears an abusive man yelling at a woman on another boat. She jumps to get away from that man and Jake rescues her from the water. She thanks him for saving her life over a cup of booze and explains that the man on the other boat is her husband. He's rich, he's powerful, and she's convinced that he was going to kill her. So she can't go back to him. Maybe Jake could take her to San Diego or Mexico. He says no, and he dumps her off at the marina with 50 bucks. But, you know, since Jake has a heart of gold, even though he doesn't want to be involved with any woman, he has a change of heart, and he catches up to her and says that she can stay on the boat for a couple of days. <laughs> With- and this character is played by Kathy Ireland. Yeah. Talk about like early 90s. Oh my God, Kathy Ireland. I know. I want to know how much money she made from her line of of stuff at Kmart. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Like, I want to know all of those. Like, you know, a lot of the best people have had lines at Kmart. Like my personal favorite, um, Sandra Lee, semi-homemade cooking, my favorite comfort show. But um, didn't Martha Stewart also have a line at Kmart? That makes sense. I think that's true. That sounds right. She's definitely done something somewhere. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's funny. um, Let me make sure. Sorry for the typing, which is especially hard with this a uh, chord to my earbuds, Tammy and the T-Rex. Um, I've seen this movie before. Uh, um, nope, sorry, that's Denise Richards. Never mind. Um, <laughs> same thing. No. Ta- uh, Denise Richards and Kathy Ireland have kind of similar careers. I would say Denise Richards is kind of like the more successful version of Kathy Ireland. I mean, they look very similar, but I don't know. Denise Richards is kind of like, I feel like her being a, whack job is part of her career mm. like she's i don't know she seems way more messy than kathy ireland yeah kathy ireland I definitely don't... did not marry charlie sheen that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um oh man when denise richards joined the cast of real housewives of beverly hills it was the best <laughs> she's actually kind of cool yeah. um she seems like a cool person coolish i don't know you know kind of <laughs> wacky but in a fun way nice um, I haven't watched that show, but I do just get a kick out of uh, Lisa Rinna. Um. Oh, she's the best <laughs> on that show. Oh, my God. I love Lisa Rinna. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so Billy and Allison return to Melrose Place from San Diego, and they find Mrs. Parker there making arrangements to leave town. She pretends not to know that Mr. Parker abused Allison and Meredith, and Allison tells her that Mr. Parker admitted it. Mrs. Parker says it's all lies and that she's going home per Mr. Parker's instructions. Yeah, and this whole time I'm, like, getting this vibe that Mrs. Parker is in, like, some deep denial, you know, and, like, definitely... 
I feel like Mrs. Parker knows more than she's letting on. Mrs. Parker um, looks like she's high all the time, too. Yeah, she, like, definitely, ever since things started popping off, she's got this, like, you know that, like, super wired anxiety look that people get where it's almost like they're on speed, but they're not really on speed. It's like, Adderall. Just, like. <laughs> it's, like, nature's Adderall, yeah. which is this, like, frantic. Her hair, like, the way it's so high in the front and it shows her entire <laughs> forehead she looks like she stuck her finger in a light socket <laughs> that's exactly the vibe that she gives off uh, she looks like yahoo serious <laughs> do you remember yahoo serious yes that's i do a blast from the early 90s past yeah movie recommendation for everybody look for young einstein young einstein yeah. oh my god he was hot anyway like let's keep going <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say it's really weird. Um, Allison and Billy hug when at the end of this scene and Allison just looks absolutely giddy. It's like, obviously she should look comforted and safe because she's home and she's with Billy, but she just looks like she thinks it's funny. Um, you know, obviously every take can't be a great take. And sometimes the acting really misses the mark. And this is definitely one of those times. Um, but, uh, so <laughs> Billy brings Allison soup in bed. And I hate this so much because there's like this huge plate of crackers to go with it. And you just do not eat crackers in bed. It's so inappropriate. <laughs> like, I mean, Full disclosure, I'm totally a person who would eat crackers and butter, <laughs> but I'm also like a total trash panda, right. so it's fine. <laughs> um, I can't remember. Christopher, you and I would not work in a relationship, like a living together situation. It would make a we really would, good show. Like, <laughs> it would be, We would definitely be the odd couple. Yeah. Like, everything that you're like, I am so offended by people doing this. I'm like, oh, oh that's me God. all I over. Do, I do that. Ah! Yeah. And, like that time that you sent me the video of the woman loading her dishwasher um, by just dropping stuff into it, I I wanted <laughs> yeah. to tear my own skin off because like she was putting plastic in the bottom, it's gonna melt. Like, oh, I put plastic in the bottom all the time. Oh. What are you talking about? Ah! Anyway, yeah, we we would not we would not last long. It would be fun, but um, we would definitely have to learn to just um divide chores and maybe not go in each other's rooms and but we'd have fun (laughs) (laughs) uh but anyway yeah this big ass bowl of soup and by the way um if you want to take somebody's soup in bed just give them a big mug of it like yeah go good point (laughs) um he wanted to tell her that he agrees with meredith there's no point in pursuing legal charges against mr parker he doesn't want everybody to know this embarrassing secret about Allison. He'd rather concentrate on their future. So they should just go get married in Las Vegas. And she agrees to it. <laughs> um, so Jake goes to the boat and he runs into Brittany there. And by the way, I just wanted to say that um, this whole idea that she's safe staying at the boat is hilarious to me because... If she really was um, hiding from the person on the other boat, um, one place to look for her would definitely be at the boat that was nearby. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
he runs into her just as she gets out of the shower and she tries to repay him with a little bit of boning. Um, going so far as to suggest when he says that they should just be friends, that friends can have sex. <laughs> and like these people just met, which aren't like, I'm saying that not because people who just met shouldn't have sex. Like, honestly, like do it. Like if you want to do it, like, fuck, I don't care. Like, have sex with people you just met. I think it's fine. The friends language is what gets me is like, we're just going to be friends. Y'all literally just met yeah. like five minutes ago. Like you're just a lady that's staying on his boat because you were in a sticky situation. Well, and it's supposed to be um, like this big crisis. Like she's supposed to be afraid for her life. And she's like, please fuck me, please. <laughs> like, I know we all cope with things in different ways. <laughs> True, true. But um, this is a little much. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, Allison goes to Amanda's office to ask for more time off for the Vegas trip. Amanda wants to know what is this personal problem that caused this whole situation? And Allison tells her that she was abused as a kid. Uh, she says she isn't pressing charges, and Amanda points out that that's what Billy wants, and that she should press charges. So thank you, Amanda, for being um, the one person to say that. <laughs> and it's so funny, too, because the way that this is all played, like Amanda, like we talked about this before, Amanda goes back and forth from seeming like she's actually chill to being suddenly nefarious and calculating. And this is one of those moments where she seems like she's really trying to be like supportive yeah. you know um i don't know um let's see allison decides <laughs> at the last minute that she doesn't want to go to vegas and that she should stay home and press charges against mr parker instead um if only billy knew that the reason she decided that is because of amanda right um billy being billy is super pissed off instead of supported and he just leaves on his own uh, in some black convertible that we've never seen before and we don't know who it belongs to. <laughs> and Yeah, and Billy, this whole storyline, Billy is so obnoxious because he keeps saying that he's like the most supportive, you know, partner and being mad that she's not... I don't know, the way that he's just constantly angry at her and kind of is like, get over it you're not being a very good girlfriend, partner, fiance, because you won't just get over this thing. Yeah. And it's so, oh, it's so obnoxious to watch. He's like, you need to get back to the thing where you like giving your partner pleasure. Yeah. He's, uh, and he keeps, this will come up more later, but he like, likes to say that he's been super supportive and she needs to get with the program and I'm like oh my god on what planet you've never you've literally never done anything for anybody Billy I don't understand yeah. Um, but yeah Um. so that was the end of episode one and the start of episode two which um, Nan will read about I wanted to point out is what I was talking about earlier where for the first time ever the show starts before the credits uh, super interesting stuff I know but it's the kind of thing I'm interested in Anyway, take it away. <laughs> so here we go. And I believe that's called a cold open. Um, <laughs> the show opens with Sydney being questioned in jail, which is the first time 
we have a cold open and she admits that she wants to kill my she's wanted to kill michael before but only after kimberly convinced her it was a good idea she tells them about the first attempt and that Kim- kimberly is framing her um Kimberly brings Michael home to the beach house, which he doesn't remember at all. Hmm. And assistant DA Roger Chambers arrives to talk about Sydney's accusation about the first murder attempt. She denies everything and said Sydney came to her for an alibi. Chambers is immediately satisfied <laughs> with Kimberly's story and leaves. Yeah, it's the shortest like, questioning ever. I if if you thought enough of it to actually go ask that person, all you did was say, "Hey, this person said you." tried to kill somebody is that true and the person goes no and you go okay that's what i thought that sounds fine yeah. like i just yeah these this the way this storyline moves typical melrose place um, like that's literally the opposite of what good detective work is because you're supposed to like um talk to people and look for things like inconsistencies in their story or um, things that just don't add up. Um, but he's just like, you, you didn't kill her, kill him. Did you? Or no, 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 I didn't. Like, it's fine. <laughs> and let's be honest, like DAs and cops do not necessarily have a motive for getting the right person. Um, they have a motive mm, for getting a person, yeah. right? Like they just like crimes to be solved. So some of this is like, eh, okay. Kind of believable in that sense where it's like, they, <laughs> They have a person. She seems really good for it, and they have no real reason to change their assumptions around what's happened. Uh, well, Sydney does um, seem like an easier conviction, that's for sure. I mean, and she's—you can make a motive for her really easily. Michael's her ex-husband who like treated her totally shitty, yeah. you know. So uh, anyway, I do want to point out that um, this DA guy, Roger Chambers, is played by the legendary Tim Russ, who plays Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager. One of the greatest characters in Voyager history. You know, I don't Star Trek watch history. that. Yeah, stuff. that's why I had to say it. <laughs> it's Star <laughs> Trek history. Um, he um, he plays a Vulcan. Um, he had to wear a really bad haircut for seven years to play that character. Like in real life? Well, I don't know if the hair was real or not. Um, it probably wasn't. But, you know, he's on um, like... Uh, a couple hundred episodes of the show with that hair. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, it's like, um, cause you know, Vulcans always have to have like drastic hair, but since he has African American hair, they were like, well, how do we do that? Cause we can't give him bangs. So they kind of cut like a rainbow shape from one ear to the other. They moved his hairline back. So it's straight up and down. Super weird. Mm. But Fast, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Kimberly makes gumbo for Michael and tries to kiss him, but he doesn't understand how she could be attracted to him. <laughs> she tells him the story of the accident, pretending it was some other man involved. She says there's nothing wrong with her, and she reveals the scar. Uh, oh, he, she says... He says there's nothing wrong with her, and she reveals the scar. He tells her she's beautiful, and they kiss and probably bone, even though he's still in bandages. So here's why I think my prediction, and I could be wrong, this hasn't happened yet in the three episodes we've watched, but I actually think Michael is faking his amnesia to try to get, like, either to trap Kimberly into admitting things that she shouldn't admit because she thinks that he doesn't remember, like, 
I I think he's faking. The old switcheroo. Because um, I don't think... I feel like Thomas Calabro is overacting this amnesia. Mm-hmm. And like, sure, overacting, it's Melrose Place. But I don't know. It's overacting this amnesia in a way that feels like part of what's happening. Does that make it sense? It does. There is one plot point, which I'm not going to spoil, um... That I'll, I'll say it when it comes up later on. I'll mention it when it happens. There is one plot point that makes me think it might not be fake. But I do agree that, um, you know, if Michael is going to be an awesome character like Kimberly, he does need to step up his game. And this is one way he could be doing it. So I right. kind of hope you're right. I can see it. I, I have this like feeling, <laughs> right? Just this little feeling. So Matt visits Sydney in jail and she's convinced Michael is in on Kimberly's plan. Okay, can we talk about Matt in these episodes? Because poor Matt is just, again, is just here to be like a tool for kind of filling in some gaps around the storyline to help move certain aspects of it along. Like Matt does not, he does not have any kind of story. You know what Matt is? um, He is, he is the Greek chorus. So true, exactly. <laughs> and this is so like, and he just shows up kind of randomly. Like, why did Matt visit Sydney in jail? Why? 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 Yeah. Like, I don't buy that that would happen. Like, they're not best friends. They know each other, but like, I just, um, anyway. And then she tells him that she's convinced Michael's in on Kimberly's plan and. I don't know, like, and then Matt suddenly just, like, gets really invested in becoming, like, Mr. Detective on this whole thing. It's it's just poor Matt. It's, it's, poor Matt. It's like he sensed that they were definitely not going to write a plot about him for a while, so he definitely has to jump into the other plots as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, this is, they are failing, Matt, and, you know, um, anyway... Jane's hard at work, shuffling papers around while Chris distracts her with kisses on the neck. Her dad arrives and Jane explains to Chris that it was her dad who supported her dream of being in fashion. He asks Jane to come along on his Sydney-related errands. Matt comes to the beach house to visit Michael, who doesn't recognize him outside of meeting him at the hospital. Kimberly told Michael he and Matt aren't particularly close matt is about to spill the beans that michael caused the accident just as kimberly arrives he she asks matt not to come by anymore without talking to her mr andrews explains to sydney that he can't put up bail because he's she's too much of a flight risk and the case is very strong he wants her to plead guilty so the lawyer can get charges reduced and help her help for her sydney flips out and says she wishes she'd run michael (laughs) over and that her dad was there so she could hit him too um all right you're doing not doing yourself any favors here sydney but that's typical sydney um mr andrews tells jane it takes signatures from two family members to commit someone involuntarily and asks for her help um she agrees it'd be better that prison better than prison and reminisces about when she and Sydney were young and each other's only friends, which I'm like, you're telling me all this resentment Sydney has against Jane that causes all this wildness is just new and that they used to just be friends. Like, because the way Sydney acts towards Jane, it feels like it's always been this dynamic, even growing up where Jane was this, like, you know, the special one and Sydney was the forgotten one. 
again, like they just throw this detail in here where, oh yeah, but for a while in our early adulthood, we were like BFFs. And I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> the math is not mathing. <laughs> um, and then, and also the two signatures thing sounds like one of those just like made up for TV right. kind of situations. Um, Sydney's released from jail thinking she got bail but the guys in white coats put her in a straight jacket and drag her off okay she's in custody so there's no reason to trick her yeah why didn't her family just say okay so this is what is happening please do not be alarmed like there was no reason yeah you know what i mean it's not like they needed to trap her she was literally going from jail to involuntary committal super harsh um, Bruce tells Amanda that Escapade Magazine is looking for a new ad agency and wants Amanda to call Billy on his honeymoon. <laughs> she tells him that the wedding... W- and Okay, I don't know enough about magazines, I guess, to know totally, but why would a magazine have an advertising agency? Like, usually the ad space in them is sold by salespeople in-house... And they don't make ads. They just are a vehicle for ads. I mean, I think it's for ads about the magazine. um, Because, like, you know, some publications are going to do their own advertising for their own ads. Like, you know, the, the... the stuff to try to get people to read their magazine. But a lot of them are going to be like, um, we don't, we don't have the perspective we need about ourselves. We have to consult with an ad agency to get good ideas. So, okay. I mean, I guess. (laughs) Okay. So, um, I also have trouble believing though, that this makes this like the biggest deal in the world that all these people are about to just like stab each other in the back to get for one account. And Um, like, and that Bruce is going to tell, somebody to interrupt somebody else on their honeymoon about it come on yeah none of this makes sense uh she tells him that the wedding didn't go off well didn't go well and allison is distraught and unavailable but she'll talk she'll call billy anyway and we already see where this is going right (laughs) allison happens to call from the airport just as bruce walks out and tells amanda that she's available to work for work stuff Amanda doesn't mention escapade. Also, not shocking. Jake visits Brittany at the boat to kick her off, but she doesn't want to leave and tries to convince him to let her stay with some sex. (laughs) He says she needs to look for a place to stay, um, but she's just picking up lunch instead. Allison and Meredith visit uh, Harry Allen, an attorney who was known who has known them for their entire lives. He doesn't think that they're the type to lie, but warns them that the Parkers are basically pillars of the community and they need to be absolutely sure it's true. Allison pleads for his help and he agrees to meet Judge Thomas with them. Um, That guy was played by James Hampton, the dad from Teen Wolf. (laughs) Teen Wolf. Oh my gosh. Um, Amanda meets Billy at Shooters to convince him that D&D and Escapade working together would be a huge win for everyone. Not, I, what? He thinks Nancy will want to make up her own mind, but Amanda says she has a plan. Amanda goes to the boat to visit Jake, but finds Brittany instead. She leaves her basket of treats and tells Brittany to tell Jake he's a lying pig. (laughs) Sure, that's going to happen. 
Mrs. Parker arrives as Allison and Meredith get ready for the hearing. She wants them to stop what they're doing because it'll destroy her life, and she wants them to just forgive Mr. Parker. She berates them and tells them that she wishes she, they'd never been born. <laughs> All right. Whoa. Wow. That escalated quickly. Um Nancy asks Billy what also like if you're trying to convince me to do something for you mom like don't say I wish you'd never been born because then I'm probably just gonna be like well in that case fuck yeah. you and I'm definitely doing I this. didn't ask to be born that was kind of all on you <laughs> so Nancy asks Billy what's up with his sour demeanor just before Amanda calls to thank him for his help with her pitch uh, she wants to, some revisions, but he refuses, saying she's free to make any updates she wants. Meredith, Allison, and Harry catch Judge Thomas telling Mr. and Mrs. Parker that everything will be fine, which makes Meredith give up and leave. Later, over pie, Harry tells Allison to head home and let what's going to happen happen. I mean, more than that happens. Like, the like uh, Harry, the lawyer, tells Allison that he does actually believe her. Um and you know i mean this whole situation is uh is like very difficult you know they show up to talk to the judge and out come mr and mrs parker and the judge is like oh we're best friends you know y'all are it's all great for y'all we'll figure out what's going on figure out what's going on meaning like we'll make sure that this doesn't do anything to you um but the lawyer is like i believe you allison i just you don't really have much of a case if meredith won't also testify and you know um it's kind of like i'm sorry that we can't make it happen um nancy confronts billy over the copy in the dnd presentation and says that amanda told her billy wrote it why okay wait okay i was like gonna say why did amanda do that but then it becomes very obvious later on why amanda did that that was planned um, and says that Amanda told her that Billy wrote it and went and then fires him. He heads straight to D&D to confront Amanda, where Bruce offers him a senior copywriter job. Um, Brittany snoops around the boat, but manages to stop just before Jake arrives to chew her out. Oh, and also speaking of which, like magazine writing and cop and like advertising copywriting are two definitely very different kinds of writing and i never believed for one second that billy wanted to be a like a writer writer and i'm not dissing advertising writers i've done marketing copy myself i know a lot of people who do that for a living it's a fine gig but if you were working at a magazine and then somebody in advertising was just like hey do this job if you were really passionate about like being a writer yeah. i don't know i feel like you'd be a little bit more conflicted it, than billy seems in this moment. it's funny how we went from him trying to be the next hemingway to him trying to be the next charles sachi right like it's yeah it, it's it's a leap for sure um but then again he also sucks at everything so he may as well fail upward <laughs> like I mean, yeah, I never really believed that he wanted to be the next Hemingway or that he was capable of it. So this is not necessarily a crazy trajectory. I just think it shows that I was right all along. (laughs) Billy doesn't really care about being a good writer. He just, you know, wants to be, I don't know, whatever that thing is. So Brittany snoops around the boat, Uh but manages to stop just before Jake arrives to chew her out over an argument with Amanda we didn't get to see. He tells her to leave, and she tries to seduce him again, pointing out that he's been with the wrong kind of woman. He finally gives in, and they bone. 
Um, Allison asks her cab driver to stop at her parents' place where they're having a huge barbecue and the judge is there and, and the judge is like, oh, you always make that best, blah, blah, whatever. They're all yucking it up and having a good time. And, oh, no. Word. All right, guys. Sorry for the interruption. We had a little technical difficulty, but we're back. We're, we're talking back. about the barbecue. <laughs> Allison shows up to the barbecue. The judge is like, you make the best spiciest something or other to, you know, Mr. Parker. Everybody's yucking it up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Allison, um, you know, uh, Mr. Parker, in a fit of rage, Mr. Parker admits everything and blames Mrs. Parker. <laughs> um, Mr. Parker continues with a rant about all women being teases as he kicks everyone out. So, yeah, he's like, Allison confronts him and he's like, it's because my wife wouldn't have sex with me, which is just like such a jerk move. Yeah. Even if that's true, like, absolutely not. Like, absolutely not, sir. There are this some... whole scene is so <laughs> oh my god it was gross. great though but yeah uh, there are some bridges that you just never cross no matter how frustrated you are and one I of mean, them is diddling your kids yeah like uh, yeah men are so gross I hate them okay <laughs> so Brittany arrives at a remote location and she walks up to this like guy on a cliff we only see his back and i immediately knew who it was right <laughs> like you immediately knew who it was and she was planted by palmer dun, dun. Da, da, da. like yeah all right um, so that is the end of episode two um one note uh joe wasn't in that episode at all <laughs> That's true. That is very true. But she's going to be in this episode. Yeah. And uh, the storyline is definitely, you know, I got to hand it to them. Really thought that the storyline of her pregnancy was going to go in a different direction than the one that they've gone in. Yeah. I mean, but, it, it's, it's never too late, but um, it's, it's getting more complicated as it uh, goes along because, you know, uh, the longer you wait, the harder it is. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure all right episode three is called in-laws and outlaws um over on the boat Brittany wakes jacob for some morning action but he's actually ready for their fling to end she stops him before he can kick her out and she leaves to buy croissants but it's actually so she can talk to palmer excuse me he needs to get on the boat for some part of his diabolical plan. And this is supposedly difficult, uh, even though anyone could just walk right up to the boat at any time. I'm not sure why this is so difficult. Um, Allison. Well, he's got to make sure Jake's not there. Right. right? But he's not there that often. Like, he hasn't been spending every night there, right? Like, Sure, exactly. <laughs> no, this is, yeah, it's bananas. Is it just that, like, Palmer won't stay up late? Like... <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'm old i have to go to bed by nine o'clock so you know we gotta get this to work around my sleep sketch yeah okay i get it now i get why this is a problem because i would have the same <laughs> issue um i would actually be like i would just pay somebody else to go do it to be honest <laughs> like, like this is where i am right now i have been having my prescriptions delivered to me from the pharmacy rather than go over there <laughs> 
Oh man! Like mail order is one thing because they don't charge extra for that. But my my current um, arrangement doesn't have that. But then my pharmacy sent me this text, and they're like, "Click this link to have everything delivered by an Uber driver." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> done yeah um allison returns to D D straight from the airport and amanda tells her about the escapade account and billy's new job and in fact he's now the new agency superstar because that's how everything works he got hired five minutes ago and he's like he probably hasn't even done anything yet yeah how is he the agency superstar like man he can he can proofread your copy like nobody's business <laughs> <laughs> do we really think billy can proofread no, no. i doubt it uh, allison finds him uh on the floor in the cube next to hers even though he's a senior copywriter who would definitely have an office and she's pissed that he didn't talk to her first and he's basically stealing her thunder and i totally agree um that's one thing is like most people would not want to work in the same office as their spouse. Oh, absolutely not. I don't even like working from home with my spouse. Yeah. <laughs> very silently so that he doesn't hear me. <laughs> but he already knows. Yeah. And you know, even if he felt like he needed to, because he got fired and they will need money. Like he could tell her about it. Like it's super shitty for her to go to work and be surprised by this. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, absolutely no reason for her to find out like this. Like, it was on him to tell her. I mean, I know that they are, uh, what's the, what's the expression there? On the, their, their relationship is not in a good place. They're on the outs. Yeah. That didn't sound right, but I think that's right. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. A little, uh, a message on the phone machine would have been highly appropriate. She might not have heard it because she went straight to the airport, but that's on her. But see, this is the thing about Billy, too, is, like, he literally never acts like an upstanding citizen. And then he will turn around, and in five minutes, he'll be like, I have been such a good boyfriend this whole time. I've done nothing but be amazing. And I can't believe you're just not giving me everything I want. And it's like, Billy, you've done, like, literally not even the bare minimum. Not even the bare minimum. And that career that you're so proud of? Well, I'm going to outshine you there now. Uh, Well... Uh, so let me see. She's pissed that he didn't talk to her first. Yes. He's pissed that he never got any attention from her. Oh Uh. my God. Give me a break. Your fiance literally just uncovered repressed memories about her childhood sexual abuse. And you're sad because you're not getting enough attention. Yeah. He's the worst. I hate Billy. This is when he really takes it up a notch. Like, you thought you couldn't hate Billy more. Oh, no. You were wrong. This is going to get worse. Yeah. Um, So later on at home, Billy asks about Wisconsin, and he apologizes for their fight. But when he touches her shoulder, she pushes his hand away and says, good night. Reed's parents. um, Wait a minute. Yeah. Reed's parents visit Joe. Um, they show up at her apartment uh, to find out if she has any photos or mementos for him. Um, also, I just want to say from the second this scene happened, I totally predicted what happens at the end of this episode <laughs> regarding these people. I, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't know what we were in for, but um, it's a wild ride. Um, they apologize for their son 
almost killing her and for him actually forcing her to kill him. It's all kind of awkward. Uh, she finds a big, huge photo of him on the boat and he brings it to their hotel. And that's when they notice that she's pregnant. Um, those giant nineties coveralls can't cover everything. <laughs> I, I kind of felt like they were trying to make it obvious yeah. that she was pregnant. Um, and they surmise that obviously Reed's going to be the father. The timelines just match up. They are super jazzed about the concept of being grandparents, but Joe is not sure how much that they could be involved. Then they make sure to shower her with compliments the entire time. Um, another actor alert. Uh, Reed's dad is played by Jerry Harden, who was Deep Throat on the X-Files. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that guy's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so was somebody else's dad earlier that I didn't even make a note of. I don't know who it was. A lot of dads lately on the show, which is fine by me. Um, uh, in the initial meeting about the escapade campaign, um, Billy and Allison immediately butt heads, which is funny because Billy probably would not be assigned to that client in the first place, seeing as how he was just fired from there. Like, um, copywriters do have to work with directly with clients sometimes. Um, and that would just not happen there. Another senior copywriter would be assigned. Um, Amanda sees herself out while the fight is happening, but she presses a button on the speakerphone, which somehow connects it to her own desk phone with one button pressed when she gets there. None of that made sense to me, but I mean, like, obviously it doesn't have to make sense. Obviously we're just trying to get to a certain place here, but like, she's been, that's not a thing. Obviously it's not real. She, she obviously just spies on meetings that she's not in all the time. So she set up some kind of trick with the conference room phone where all she has to do is press a button (laughs) and then she can go listen in, in her office, which is amazing. So, um while she listens billy breaks up with allison and he says that he'll go ahead and move out since it was her apartment first um that's how this whole show started was her other roommate leaving because she was tired of allison yelling at her to make coffee um (laughs) (laughs) Um, jake tells Brittany that he's going back to his apartment alone and that she needs to leave but of course Like an idiot, he leaves without making sure that she does. Although I guess that wouldn't matter because she would be able to just walk right back to the boat and get back on. (laughs) Um, Reed's parents find Joe at a photo shoot somehow. I don't know how they knew where to find her. Uh, They want to let her know that they are there for her. Anything she needs. And then Mrs. Reed says to take good care of our baby, which creeps Joe out. Amanda comes to Billy's cue. Because it's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, at D&D, Amanda comes to Billy's cube to ask about a rental application that he has. And she tells him that there's a vacant apartment at Melrose Place and he can just move right in. I mean, of course, but also like... 
I mean, Amanda obviously is messy and wants this to be messy. But, like, if Billy was such the great guy that he says he is all the time, he would not move into the same apartment complex as Allison. Right. Like, again, Billy is trash. You know, you'd think he'd want to go move closer to the beach house since he's still such good friends with Michael, right? Like... (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god can you imagine like michael and billy living together that would be amazing <laughs> that's another good spinoff um <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know why i just wrote this but palmer comes to amanda's apartment <laughs> i mean it's a big reveal right like you know yeah a- and you wrote it so it's so <laughs> underwhelming but it was more kind of like amanda's at home and she's like, reading her magazine and then there's a knock at the door and she's like who is it and the person won't answer the question she's like who is it who is it and then she opens the door and it's palmer and yeah she's like, dad and yeah it was a way it was way more of a reveal than palmer comes to amanda's place <laughs> i think that i meant to maybe elaborate and then just forgot or something <laughs> <laughs> um so allison and joe go to shooters to hang out and talk about current events um a courier who somehow knew that joe would be at shooters arrives and gives her a subpoena reed's parents are suing for custody of the baby which like i totally saw this coming also like fine this is a fine plot point it's it you know like hype the drama we gotta hype the drama around this baby it's fine it's fine but also like on what planet like biological parents always have way more legal standing yeah and you really have to like work over time to prove that the baby is better off with you so i'm just so curious to see what these people's argument is going to be that they should have this baby instead of Joe over its mom legally, (laughs) legally this would never fly. Like, I don't even think a lawyer would take this case. Like they have to have legal representation. I can't imagine that a lawyer would even take this case. Yeah. Unless that lawyer was shady and just wanted to make a bunch of money off people who are bringing a lawsuit. That's never going to fly, but yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's what they do. Uh, unfortunately have some experience with that but (laughs) um but yeah it's a ridiculous notion um especially if like you know what's gonna happen if this ends up in court or in an arbitration and she's gonna be like well you know i did have feelings for reed but he tried to kill me and now his parents want to take my baby away yeah I, i mean I'll, this lawsuit's going nowhere, but this is Melrose Place, so it doesn't have to be sensical. Right. I just, you know, it just kind of is, like, a little irritating to me because I'm just like, this is one of those things where it's, like, really hard for me to just, like, go along with what's happening yeah. emotionally because I'm just like, whatever. That's not really a thing. I also think it's a little weird that we haven't really seen Joe talk about how she feels about this baby much. Like... You know, a while back, she mentioned that, like, having a part of Reed in her life was something that she was interested in. But, you know, we're not really getting the whole, like, how if if she's excited about the baby or if she's scared about the baby. All the different things that um, would make for interesting discussions and plot points. Like, literally, all we know about her is that she's pregnant, right? 
Like, right. <laughs> honestly, if I were her, I'd be like, um, you can have the baby, but I do need some financial help. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my God. Take this baby, please. Give me $4 million. Like, I don't know how much money they have, but. <laughs> but, I mean, we are also not people who want babies. So, I, I mean, it's hard for me to get my brain into the, it's literally impossible for me to put my brain into the perspective of a person who's, like, actively wanting a baby. Yeah, hard same. It's it's never been a thing I wanted. Um, I can't relate at all. Um, sorry if that comes as a shock to anybody, but that just means we've never met. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I can understand intellectually that there are people in the world who want babies because that is a thing that definitely happens. I see it. So I can't intellectually deny it. Mm-hmm. I cannot empathize yeah. with that desire on any level. And I can empathize with people caring about their kids because that makes sense to me. Yeah. Like, but I can't empathize with actively being like, I would like to have a baby. Yeah. That just sounds bananas to me. And I guess I just would like to know how Joe feels about it. <laughs> it's it, to me, she's the important person in this story. <laughs> like, um, so um, Sydney uh, is in a mental health evaluation with a Dr. Curtis who is doing Rorschach tests with her and she's giving dishonest answers. You know, they all look like angels. And he was like, really angels. Okay. A butterfly. Um, and when he calls her out on that, she flips out, which is not going to help her case at all. Um, and he has a panic button on his desk and he pushes it. And then eventually some orderlies show up and he's like, it took you fuckers long enough. Um, I recognize the dad immediately. He was the dad on my favorite of the old sitcoms from Nick at Night. The Patty Duke Show. His name is William oh, Schaller. Oh, yeah. Patty Duke Show, yeah. Yeah, he acted from 1947 to 2016, and he had 386 credits. Dang. Yeah, that's a that's a healthy, healthy career, I must say. Um, and getting to work with a legend like Patty Duke, like he's lucky as hell. I love Patty Duke. Um, ah, I miss Patty Duke. Anyway, Kimberly <laughs> meets Michael. At his brain doctor appointment. And his brain, uh, to your point earlier, shows no signs of injury. Hmm. Um, the plot thickens. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I saw this coming, but I kind of saw this coming. <laughs> Excuse me. The doctor wants Kimberly to start doing things that will help Michael jog his memory. And she pretends that she will. But instead, she says that she's going to get a transfer and they'll move far away. Uh, Chris comes to Jane Mancini Designs to let her know that his boss wants to cancel their deal if they can't get Michael's signature. And he assures her that he still wants to date even if the deal is canceled. Um, You know, she's not going to lose the entire package. Uh, (laughs) uh, Sydney sneaks away from movie night at the institution to call Matt's. And uh, he's about to blow her off over the phone when an orderly snatches the phone away from her and hangs it up. And I didn't notice until later, but this orderly is played by Vincent Chavelli, who is the subway ghost in the movie Ghost. (laughs) I've never seen Ghost. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's wild. It's wild. I know. It's wild. That is the next movie 
that I need you to watch. I don't also, I like how Matt was about to blow her off, and then she got snatched by the orderly, and I guess and then Matt, Matt changes cares. his yeah. mind like immediately and is like, Jane, Sydney's yeah. telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, like he didn't care about her until the orderly did his job. Um, <laughs> I mean, the orderlies and the doctors here are are playing into that trope of like overly patriarchal, kind of like abusive, you know, uh, mental health institution people, yeah. right? So, like, I guess the orderly technically did his job, but like, yeah, not in a not in a way that is like good practice or whatever. I don't, you know, yeah. like whatever. Well, um, maybe a bit of foreshadowing that orderly does not seem like a good guy. No, things happen <laughs> later for sure. So yeah, uh, Matt does visit Jane to suggest that maybe Sydney is telling the truth, um, and. Jane tells him about the papers that she needs signed and Matt suggests that he should come along because Michael is not going to recognize her. So, um, they, uh, and that scene is so weird. We'll get to it. We'll get to it, but it's the weirdest thing that ever happened. <laughs> so they, they go over there and Jane tells Michael about their relationship and Michael learns that, um, he was actually the problem instead of Jane as Kimberly has led him to believe um, he wants to make it up for her and, um, she asks him to sign the papers and, um, he's totally fine with that, which is why I think maybe he does have amnesia. I see what you're saying, but I think I, I get that, but I think that there's a more, more to be revealed right. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. about why that's like, okay, like, what? Like he it's couldn't... possible, like he, you know, it's definitely possible that he de- he knows Kimberly was the one. That's why he's faking the amnesia. And if Kimberly's the one that maybe he wants to try to be, because it's Michael, right? Mm-hmm. So like him suddenly deciding, like, oh, I'm going to try to be nicer to Jane for some manipulative reason. Yeah. And he is going to make money. Like he was literally only withholding the signature to just be a jerk to Jane. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna benefit from this thing. Yeah, so, that's true. Like, I see what you mean, but at the same time, I also see how this could just be part of Michael's whole thing that he's doing. His his 5D chess game that he's got going on. Like, imagine, imagine how hard it was for him to sign those papers because while he does live to annoy Jane, he has to pretend not to right now because he's got bigger fr- fish to fry, so to speak. Well, and he loves to flip on the flirting with Jane. You know what I mean? Like Mm. he lives to annoy Jane, but I think if she wanted to take him back, he'd be into it in a heartbeat. Right. So like, and this whole thing, this like the scene where I don't know (laughs) what Jane, it's like he has amnesia and Jane is, Jane is the thing that I don't understand in this scene. I mean, when she's like, when he's like, I remember that, uh, you have ticklish eyelids (laughs) and she's like, Oh, he, like all flirty and then he's like and i used to tickle them by kissing them and then he starts kissing her island and she's just like <laughs> and i'm like what is happening like she does tell him like oh you can't just erase everything by having amnesia but she kind of is acting like you can because like and the thing about it is is like this person that's talking to her is not even attractive because to your point earlier he's acting like a child yeah like it's just so weird. It's this whole scene is so strange. It's so weird. Um, I guess that she has, I, 
it's I guess nobody has ever been able to give her like an eyelid job the way Michael could and she just can't resist one more ride around the block like that. Nothing about it makes sense <laughs> on any I just can't make it make sense. It's just so weird. Well, it's very it's not weird if you're like working in the Melrose Place universe though. Well, you know what makes even less sense? Jane's outfit. She she was wearing you know those backless tops that have like a string back? Um, right. If you ever go to a concert, <clears throat> excuse me, every girl under 15 is going to be wearing one. Um, it never fails. Um, and it's always like one of their dads is escorting seven of them. And he he's like, these girls are all wearing these tops and I look so stupid hanging out with them. <laughs> Um, maybe I'm really just thinking of that one time that I saw NSYNC. But anyway, um, <laughs> she's wearing a string top like that with a long sleeve shirt under it. Did you see that? Yeah, it was weird. It was it so was, bad. It was weird. Like those strings on those kinds of garments are supposed to look sexy across your bare skin. And to have like a garment that is meant to cover as much skin as possible under it. Like, you know, the kind where the bracelets end up on top of the sleeve. Like, it's it's a not a good look. Um, and meanwhile, while that fashion travesty was happening outside, inside the house, Matt was snooping around. And he found, um, like, Kimberly's spare wig. Um, so, you know, the gears start turning in his head. Um but anyway, Kimberly gets home and she catches Michael kissing Jane's eyelids. <laughs> and um, she kicks Matt and Jane out and she threatens to have Jane arrested if she ever returns. Kimberly is really not doing herself any favors, by the way, by being so aggressive with these people. Because, like, I mean, I get guilty. that she just wants ev- she just wants to keep everybody away from Michael. And I get why that's true. However, it does make her look more guilty. Yeah. She's 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 at a 10 and it would serve her to be at about a 7, you know. Um Jane and Chris celebrate the signing of the papers with one single candle and champagne. Um Sydney's lawyer calls to tell her about a plea deal, but she says that she doesn't think Sydney will take it. Palmer visits Brittany on the boat to finalize plans to blow it up with plastique. And much like how Kimberly needs to dial it down a bit, Palmer is not really doing himself any favors by berating Brittany the entire time. He like basically calls her stupid and a slut and a horror. Um, and I don't know why he does that. Cause like, she's kind of the key to his plan. Um, we learned that she took a down payment of $50,000 for this boat Intel work. Um, and see this whole, I was kind of amused when we found out that he just wants to blow up the boat because I thought for sure that the whole reason Brittany wanted to fuck him so bad was that there was going to be some kind of sexual blackmail, right? If he just wants to blow up the boat, they literally could do that any time. Yeah. Like I, 
Uh, plan a bomb for the five seconds that Jake is away from the boat and do it. Yeah, it doesn't or, make any sense. Or why did you ever need Brittany in the first place? Yeah. You, you know where the boat is kept. <laughs> Just walk up, put a bomb on it, and yeah. like walk away. Yeah. I, it's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and expensive. He paid her so much money for nothing. Oh my god, why? What Palmer is Palmer the business genius, right? Like Um and we still don't really know how he got out of prison so fast, but I hope we learn more about that from a conversation with Amanda or something. Uh, um so Jane goes to the institution to tell Sydney about a work release plea deal, but Sydney refuses to confess because after all, she's innocent. And now she thinks that the whole thing could just be a trick to get her to confess so that they could put her away for life, which um, I don't think that they can do that. I th- yeah. I don't think that they can do that in a plea deal. I mean, it would make, it would make it impossible for people to ever take plea deals. Cause that yeah. could literally always be true. Yeah. It's, but it's not like Sydney's the smartest. Like I can understand why she's paranoid. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's not real, but it's not like Sydney's a lawyer or yeah. like really understands life. <laughs> um <clears throat> excuse me. Um Matt confronts Kimberly at the hospital about the accident and she threatens him with a slander suit. She says she's obviously innocent because there's just no way that she could get all of her hair under that Jane wig that they Which, found. It's what? not true. It's not true. Second of all, Sydney has just as much hair. Like yeah. Sydney has the exact same hair. Like Michael has Kimberly. a type. <laughs> and but, like, so what? I also as a person who wears wigs, like what? I mean, it didn't even. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. It's so it's literally this is the silliest thing I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Yeah. People have been wearing their hair under wigs for literally hundreds of years, oh maybe thousands. Um, but anyway, she says it's it's. I couldn't possibly even wear that wig. Look at all this thick, luxurious red hair. It would never fit. So Matt snatches her wig off. <laughs> Literally snatches her wig. And she like runs away. She's like, how dare you? Oh my God. Yeah. Obviously, this is the gayest thing that Matt has ever done on the show. Snatching a wig off somebody's head. <laughs> also, like all of this makes her look fucked up. But yeah. none of this actually proves anything about yeah. her involvement. Like, with this crime. Like, she can wear a wig now yeah, that you've proved I mean, that she doesn't have hair. That doesn't mean she was wearing a wig. Right. I mean, um, everything about this is so silly. I would like to think that maybe um, the police would test the wig for DNA. But then again, the policeman just picked it up with his bare hands. So maybe not. Uh, <laughs> Um, speaking of things being snatched away, that orderly from before who snatched the phone from Sydney earlier comes to Sydney's bed and molests her, saying that, um, you know, she's stuck there and he's going to have plenty of opportunities to do it again and again. So she may as well get used to it, which um, is a pretty brave thing to say in an open concept facility surrounded by like 
six to 10 other beds, right? Like everybody in every other bed is turned away. I mean, I guess we can make the case that he probably abuses all of them and they're all afraid of him, but. And um, also that nobody's going to believe them because they're supposedly crazy. I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. It's not, it's definitely, I see what you mean, but it's not, that doesn't feel totally. It's again, it's playing into a trope. Like this is a trope we see all the time. Yeah. Like um, a, a mental institution is a place where dark things happen and um, there's no supervision. And if you get stuck in one, your problems are going to get way worse. Like, right. Yeah. There's and a no lot of going to believe you. Yeah, totally. No, you know, all that. Um, and um, maybe this is my uh, 2000s era thinking, but they would probably have a security camera, too. Um <laughs> Oh, uh, I can't imagine that being true then, though. Yeah, maybe I mean, not. Yeah. Um, it makes me want to. It makes me think of um, Terminator Two because that institution had a lot of cameras, but somehow not enough to capture the liquid metal guy. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, oh, you probably haven't seen Terminator Two, have you? I haven't seen. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I also cool. have to full disclosure. I have to pee so bad, so um, yeah. Oh, just should should I blow the through table. the rest? Yeah, we're almost done. <laughs> so um, Matt calls Jane and tells her that um, uh, uh, Kimberly wears a wig, and therefore Sydney's innocent. Jane blows him off, and um, he apologizes to Kimberly because he is now scared of her, and she vaguely threatens him. Jane and Chris go to the institution and pick Sydney up and she's tranquilized and happy. And now she's going to stay with Jane until she gets back on her feet. Jane, or sorry, uh, Sydney meets Chris and it's pretty obvious that those two are going to bone eventually. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, she obviously like confessed cause she wanted to get out of that place with those people and the orderly threatening her. Like that was her final straw. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, they, they play it up so much. Like, Jane and Chris like hold hands as they're walking out, but like he's like giving sideways glances to Sydney, and it's just such it's like so obvious that they're gonna do it. Yeah, here we go again. A tale as old as time. <laughs> I mean, this is Melrose Place, yeah. so yeah, so that's the end of the episode. Uh, this is yeah, it's definitely um, we're getting into all the tropes, right? All yeah. the soap opera tropes are in full swing. Um, so we need, we need an evil twin and I really hope we can get like captivity or like a hidden secret city, um, next, probably not, but you know, that's my favorite one. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I don't have a lot of closing remarks partially because I, like I said, I do have to go to the bathroom very, very, uh, badly. I went, I went to spin before this and I drank a shit ton of water. So... Yeah, I'm glad that I stacked so many announcements at the start of the show because now we can let you go pee. And yeah, I know what that's like. Um, One time I was at a spa and I was, you know, in the hot tub in the sauna drinking tons of water. Then it was time for my my massage. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I have to go pee. It happens. It happens. Yeah. So anyway, um, yes, follow Christopher on Instagram at xtofer575. 
I'm at Nanarchist yeah. uh, on Instagram. I don't do other things. And <laughs> we will see you next week for more episodes of Melrose Show. Bye. Bye.